Welcome to Ben's Bible Podcast. I'm Ben Burkhart, your host, and on this podcast, we share refreshing and faith-building biblical truths. I hope you'll plan to join us on a regular basis. God bless you, and let's jump in to this week's episode. Welcome to the podcast. Ben Burkhart here, and it is great to have you back with me today. Last week, we spoke about is hell the number one evangelistic tool of the century? The answer might surprise you. If you missed that message last week, I hope that you'll check it out. Today, we are doing a continuation of this very topic. So this is part two on this great question, is hell the number one evangelistic tool of the century? And certainly it has been used as such in centuries of the past. What about in our time? What about in our day? Well, we definitely have talk about it. As we mentioned before, it came up in the news recently with the Fatima visions of the Catholic Church, and there are many other ways that we see this topic being used in our world today. Now, to be sure, Jesus mentions hellfire, and we're going to be getting to those kinds of texts and looking at how Jesus speaks in love and mercy to people. We're going to be looking also at how he speaks about this great judgment of God in the flames of fire. How does Jesus speak about this? And we'll be getting into some of those details, uh, not so much in this message, but in a following message. Yet today, we are still exploring this important question and looking at how God reaches hearts and minds. How does God reach people besides just talking about flames of fire? What other ways does God really reach out to us in love to show who he really is and what he is all about? That's what we want to understand. How does God reach our hearts with his incredible love? What is it? that God uses to draw us to himself, to motivate decisions that will forever change our life and give us a true hope and eternity with God. How does God draw us? So we're going to be looking at those things here today as we continue this journey through this important question. So before we jump into today's content, let's have a brief word of prayer to ask the Lord's blessing on our time together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this time that we have to explore your word and your call in our lives. Please give us clarity of this Bible topic and help us to know you more as we study together. For this we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. So today we are looking at how God draws us. How does God reach our hearts, our minds, our souls? And as we look over the history of Israel, of ancient Israel, we can see how God worked with them in wonderful, even incredible mercy throughout the past. God worked in love for his people, his own wayward people. And God reaches out in mercy to the world around us, not only to Israel, but to all nations. And we're going to see that as we look at some scriptures here today. We'll be sharing some scriptures here, reading a number of scriptures, and looking at God's incredible call of mercy. How does God reach out to us? 
with this great love and mercy. So one of the questions that God asks in the Old Testament of his people is, what more could I have done for my vineyard? What more could I have done? God does not leave any avenues untried to reach our souls, to save us from sin and ultimately the destruction that comes if we cling to our sin. Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 4 tell us a little bit about that, that call of God. It says, Now will I sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved touching his vineyard. My well-beloved hath a vineyard in a very fruitful hill. And he fenced it, and gathered out the stones thereof, and planted it with the choicest vine, and built a tower in the midst of it, and also made a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, I pray you, betwixt me and my vineyard. What could have been done more to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Wherefore, when I looked that it should bring forth grapes, brought it forth wild grapes. So these, this is God asking these questions about his people, asking, hey, what more could I have done? He's asking every onlooking eye, every heart and mind to consider what more could I have done? I have this great vineyard and I'm looking for it to produce fruit. And it's in the perfect location, the perfect place. It's a fruitful hill. And I've planted this vine and I've been taking away the weeds. I've been caring for it. And what is wrong that it's not producing fruit? What more could I have done? In other words, the problem here is not in the vine dresser. It's not in the, the caretaker of the vineyard. It's not in the God who planted the vineyard. The problem here is in the vine. It is in God's own people and their choice not to grow, but to go backwards and to produce wild grapes instead of wonderfully cultivated grapes. So it's a very sad situation that happened to God's people throughout history, and yet God himself was still reaching out to them. God was still bringing a message of tender mercy and love, a message calling people to think, calling people to experience change in their lives. So God reached out in this way through the prophet Isaiah. He shared this heartbreaking message with his own people that they had not gone in the right way. How sad that is. Now we see that God continues to reach out in mercy and love towards his people throughout the Old Testament and the various prophets of the Bible. I mean, we're talking over hundreds of years, God continues reaching out in mercy to a wayward people, a gainsaying people. Wow, what incredible love, because if God wanted to, he could just destroy these people, but that's not who God is. God is a God of love and mercy. God is patient. He is long-suffering. He does not want us to perish. So he tries every other means first, every other avenue first, to try and reach people, to reach us. And this is so powerful. People need to know 
the love and mercy of God. They need to know how much God really does care about all of us, how much God is reaching out for us to save us from ultimate destruction. God is a God of tender love and mercy, and that has to be clearly understood. People need to see God for who he really is. And this is powerful Bible truth. So let's take a look now at the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah came much later, about 150 years after Isaiah. Jeremiah was the prophet who God was using just before his people Israel went into captivity with the Babylonians, in fact, right up into that period of time. And Jeremiah was also a contemporary of Ezekiel. Ezekiel the prophet went into, went into the, the captivity in Babylon, as well as Daniel, the young man who became known as Daniel the prophet. And that is a wonderful prophetic book, by the way, when you want to get into studying Bible prophecy. Really exciting stuff there in the book of Daniel. So looking at the words of Jeremiah, how does he reach out with this message? Notice here in Jeremiah 3, verses 1 through 5. They say, if a man put away his wife, and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But thou hast played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, saith the Lord. Now, if you just look at that verse alone, wow, that's powerful. This mercy of God that you know, with his wife running off and playing the harlot, that he's willing to say, you know what? Come back to me again. You've had many, many lovers, and yet I'm reaching out to you. It's almost like this woman is just walking all over the top of God, this this polluted people, this polluted church, uh, just walking all over the top of God, and yet he's calling out in mercy and love that he still wants her back, that he can clean her up, he can purify her, if only she will make a decision to change her ways. That's incredible how God reaches out to us. And so Jeremiah 3 verse 2 continues, Lift up thine eyes unto the high places and see where thou hast not been lying with. In the ways hast thou sat for them, as the Arabian in the wilderness, and thou hast polluted the land with thy whoredoms and with thy wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withholden, and there hath been no latter rain, and thou hast a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. That's all there in verse 3. So, this woman refuses to be ashamed. She commits lewd, open sin, and, and yet she's not ashamed at all. She's like, so what did I do? And this is, a, this is a horrible, stubborn attitude. And ultimately, this is why Israel was taken captive into Babylon, because of their continued transgression of God's law, their continued rebellion against the Lord that they were just flipping up the nose at God. And so God said, you know what? That's it. I've been reaching out to you in tender mercy all this time, and you trample on me, and you don't even want what I have to offer. So guess what? You're going to lose my protection. You're going to lose my blessing. You're going to be taken captive into Babylon, and it's going to be a whole time of pain and suffering, especially as you face the siege 
and are brought to, you know, to nothing. So this was the situation when Israel was taken captive, and God was letting them know he's reaching out in love, and yet they they refused to be ashamed for their sin. The heart has to change. Otherwise, we of our own choice are bringing judgment upon us. And I think God wants us to know that, that we of our own choice will be bringing judgment upon ourselves if we reject his mercies. So verse 4 here in Jeremiah 3 continues on, Wilt thou not from this time cry unto me, My father, thou art the guide of my youth? Verse 5, Will he reserve his anger forever? Will he keep it to the end? Behold, thou hast spoken and done evil things as thou couldest. So God is reminding his people that, look, do you think God will reserve his anger forever? Judgment is coming because you refuse to turn from sin. You refuse to be ashamed of iniquity. So God is reasoning with people. He's pleading with people based on his mercy, but also the promise of judgment to come. And I think that this is very important as we present the good news of Jesus Christ, that we let people know about God's tender love and mercy and how he works with us so patiently, and yet how ultimately, if we refuse it all, judgment will come. And let me throw something else out here from this text. The Bible calls this woman a harlot, that she has played the harlot, that she is this greatly polluted whore. She has a whore's forehead. Now, if you're familiar with Bible prophecy at all, then you would probably know that in the book of Revelation, the Bible talks about a great whore who sits upon many waters, and she has polluted the world with her sin. She has intoxicated the inhabitants of the world with this wine, this cup of wine that she's passing around, these corrupt and false teachings and practices that she is passing around. Now, if God called his people who ran away from him and corrupted themselves with the world, if God called them a harlot in the Old Testament, what do you think God is going to say in the New Testament when his church goes awry? When his people run after the things of the world and reject God's laws and God's teachings and truths, his commandments, what do you think God will say in New Testament times? Will he not employ the same symbol? Will he not use the same language? So this is a great key to understanding Bible prophecy when you get into the book of Revelation, is understanding the language God uses when he speaks through the prophets about the condition of his people. So this is a little bit extra here. I'm just throwing that in there for, for those of you who are listening today, uh, that you can catch a little something and learn something about Bible prophecy. A lot of great stuff that we could be studying in the book of Revelation. So let's continue on looking at God's incredible mercy and his call for his people. So God is calling us to repentance. And God's people were just utterly being faithless. Uh, he talks here in Jeremiah 3, verses 6 through 8, The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. There we see it again, this language. 
And I said unto, oh, and I said after she had done all these things, turn thou unto me, but she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Such a sad situation. Because we have in Israel, from the time of Solomon's son and onward, the nation of Israel had divided. The, the, the 12 tribes had divided. So you have 10 tribes in the northern section of the territory, and these 10 tribes were known as Israel. And then you have two tribes in the south known as Judah. This is where Jerusalem was. And Israel had first gone after all these idols. But God is saying, look, now also her treacherous sister Judah, she went and played the harlot too. She saw the unfaithfulness of Israel up there in the north, that they were compromising with the kingdoms of the world. They were in bed with the kings of the earth. They were committing sin and breaking God's commandments. And she decided, well, I'm going to try it too even after God was punishing Israel for their sin. Then Judah goes and plays the harlot. This is just despicable. What happens with God's people? And honestly, what about today? What are people doing? Even in the churches, not just the world, but in the churches where you would think, hey, we ought to know better. How much are we listening to God? How carefully are we listening to the voice of God? Are we following him? following what he says, following what he teaches, spending time with God on our knees. Are we connecting with God or are we being led astray by the customs and the practices of the lawless world around us? This is an important question that we have to ask today as we look at these prophets, these Bible prophets and their messages of God's love and mercy, but ultimately of his judgment when we refuse to respond to God's mercy. These are questions we certainly have to ask in our century, in our time. What is the great evangelistic tool of our time? I believe that God is consistent in his methods and his message throughout history, although he will try different ways to get that message to us, to reach us, uh, depending on our time and place, where we live and what is available. Have you ever wondered about the Bible? What does it really mean? While some things are simple to understand, other things are not as easy. Questions like, how will Jesus come? What will the end of the world really be like? What happens when we die? And is there really a hellfire where the devil roasts people for endless ages? How can I find personal peace in my life? And if God is love, why is the world so evil? These are very important questions, and the Bible has clear answers to all of those questions. To begin your Bible study journey, please visit woosda.com. That's W-O-O-S-D-A.com. So, uh, another prophet that we could look at in the Old Testament who really gives some insight to this is Hosea. Now, if you know anything about the story of Hosea, you will know that God told him to go and marry a harlot, to go and marry a prostitute, and don't get any ideas. It's not a good it's not a good plan if you want a secure future. So normally God will say, No, don't go and marry like that. You need to marry someone who is godly, who loves the Lord. 
But Hosea was a very specific or unique case, a unique person. Uh, God actually wanted the life of Hosea to practically mirror God's love towards his people, to show God's situation. So his life was a living example of God's love for his wayward people. And this is why God told Hosea to go and marry a whore. Notice here Hosea 1 and verse 2, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. For the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Notice there's a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms. You might not even know who is really their father. Interestingly, in the book of Revelation, the Bible speaks about Babylon, the mother of harlots. We find that in chapter 17 of Revelation. So not only is there this great whore in Revelation, but the Bible says that she's the mother of harlots, that she has daughters who are following her example. Well, that's obviously something important to take note of when you study Bible prophecy. So looking here at God's call, he told Hosea to do this, and then he... He pleads for her to turn away from her sin. Okay, so look at this. Hosea chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Plead with your mother. Plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. So here is Hosea. Now this is already chapter 2. Okay, We just read the verse from chapter 1 where he's told to go and marry this wife of whoredoms. And in chapter 2, you start seeing this incredible misery that Hosea was going through with this woman running off and playing the whore with everybody in town. He was still fighting for her, but at the same time, he was like, what is going on? This woman is not even my wife. She doesn't stop. And Hosea was embodying the very frustration that God himself has had towards his wayward people, that God is calling us to be faithful to him. God is pleading with us to turn away from our sin. And that is a decision that we have to make. Our heart has to be changed. Our character has to be changed. Jesus said that no one will see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, John chapter 3. We must be born again. Our heart must be transformed. Our desires must be changed that we will seek after God and his good things and not the evil things of the world. So we see a little bit more here in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. God's counsel to Hosea. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who took, uh, sorry, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. 
So God was telling Hosea, hey, look, go and love this woman still. She is an adulteress. Yes, she's still living in sin even. And show my love. Show my love. This is my love that I have loved my people even though they were living in horrible sin. Now, God did not love the sin. There's no question about that. God hated the sin, but he loved the, the woman. He loved his people. And so God is calling us to turn away from sin, to separate from sin, to come back to him and to be faithful. This is the incredible mercy of God. And so here in Hosea 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. Here, Hosea goes and buys his wife back. Okay, first he had married her, she was his, and then she ran away, she played the harlot, she's getting money for all these activities out there being a harlot, and then she ends up basically stuck in the possession of somebody else because of her crimes and everything that she's doing, and God calls Hosea to actually go and buy her back, to take that money out of the savings account and go and buy her back. 15 pieces of silver, that's expensive. And so for all this stuff, he goes and he buys back his wife, who already should have been his. Now, you think about that in the greater context of the gospel, that God, he owns us because of creation, and yet we ran away from him. We ran away from God in sin. And then God comes looking for us, and then Jesus actually dies for us on the cross. He gave his blood to buy us, to purchase us back. The Bible says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That's in 1 Corinthians. So, so God is calling us to come back, that we are bought with a price by the blood of Jesus. And if we can't respond to the blood of Jesus, what can we respond to? We have to listen to the mercy of God. So this is an incredible plea from the Lord, and he's showing it in a pictorial format in the life of Hosea. Now, let's take a look also here briefly before we move to the next point. About uh, Let's look at uh, Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. And this is showing us how God reasons with us, how God works with us in mercy. It says here in Isaiah 1, verse 16, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless. It is right to judge when you're setting things right. Plead for the widow. So that's verses 16 and 17. God is calling us to turn away from sin, to come back to him and start doing what's right and start helping the people who are in need. There are sins of neglect, not only sins of commission that we do, but there are sins of neglect that are happening. For example, we're not seeking judgment. We're not doing well or good things. We're not relieving the oppressed or judging the case of the fatherless. We're not pleading for the widow. So God is calling us to avoid doing the evil things, but also remember to do the good things that we need to do. Don't neglect to do those good things for others. 
So verse 18 says, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So how does God work with his people here? Number one, he says it's not too late. Come back to me. Turn away from evil. Come and reason with me. Even though your sins are like scarlet, yet they will be as white as snow. That's powerful. God wants to cleanse us completely of our sins. Though we have been a sinful, wretched, and miserable person and people, God is calling us to repentance. He's reasoning with us. And he says, look, I'll heal you. I'll forgive you. I'll bless you. And there's a condition to that. He says, if you will be willing and obedient, if you'll have a willing heart and seek to obey the voice of God, choose to obey the voice of God, ask for his power to live a victorious life. God says, you will eat the good of the land. But on the other hand, If you refuse and rebel against God, you will be devoured. Ultimately, judgment will come because of sin. And this is what God points out. So he always pleads first and strongest on the basis of his mercy and love and the fact that we can come and sit down with him and set things right, that we don't have to run away because we've messed up, but God is calling us that, hey, though you have messed up, though you have sinned, I still have a plan for you. I still have mercy for you. God is reaching out to us all today. He's reaching out to the world today to heed his mercy, to heed the message of mercy so that we do not end up in utter destruction because of sin. This is how God really reaches out to our hearts and minds with his message. Now, Another thing that the Lord uses to attract us and help us to really know him and give our hearts to him is the message of what is coming in the future, that God has great plans for us. For example, the book of Revelation closes out with this beautiful story of heaven and the new Jerusalem, how amazing this holy city will be. If God can only get us to really lift up our eyes and take a glimpse of what heaven and eternity will be like, Wow, that would change things. That kind of perspective, that long-sightedness, that long-sighted perspective, instead of being short-sighted like we really so often are as human beings, God is calling us to be long-sighted, far-sighted, to see what's coming in the future and to make decisions based on that. So God is calling us in that way. And notice some of the scriptures here when God talks about heaven and his plan for us. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9 says, But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Most of us in this world have no clue what God is really preparing for us, what God is really offering for us. We all have our heads down. We're looking at the mud. We don't know that God has this eternal glory that he wants to give us, this eternal reward, eternal existence with joy, no more suffering, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. The book of Revelation describes that in chapter 21. 
So God is offering us incredible things, and we have not even begun to conceive of what God is offering us. And if only we could get our eyes fixed on that eternal reality of heaven and the joy that is there, wow, how would that change our lives? How would that change the direction or the course of our life? So God is reaching out to us in love in this way, and he's showing us the rewards and the joys of heaven, that he wants us to see that greater picture. So for believers, for Christians who want to share the good news of Jesus, think about this incredible motivating factor. Think about sharing the message of heaven, the good news of heaven, because these are the ultimate rewards and things that God wants us to experience. So there's a lot there. Jesus wants us to be in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. He talks about going and sitting down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with the patriarchs, with different people throughout history that we'll get to spend time with. And we're told in Bible prophecy that we'll get to sit down next to animals, lions that don't eat each other anymore, snakes that will not bite, that will not poison you. And I'm sure they'll look even prettier than what we see now. Uh, so just incredible things that God has in store for those who love him. And he wants us to be a part of that great eternal reality, that future. So Revelation 22 and verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is the great invitation that we find in the book of Revelation, this call to come to God, to come and experience the gospel, to experience Jesus and salvation. And it says, if anyone's thirsty, come. And not only do you come, but invite your friends, God says. Invite others. If you hear the message and if you come, then tell others to come. Tell others to get on board. Share the good news. And whoever will, whoever desires it, whoever wants to partake of this, let him take the water of life freely. You don't have to buy it. Jesus already paid the price. What we have to do is receive it by faith, trusting in the Lord. This is God's incredible plan. And it will transform us. It will change our lives because God is calling us away from sin into a life of forgiveness and a life where holiness becomes the new reality the pursuit of God, the pursuit of holy living becomes the new reality when the heart is changed because the desires are different, the focus is different. Yes, we may still face temptation, but the overall desire of our soul is to follow holiness, to follow God. And that is the new journey that God wants us to be on. Notice here Revelation 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. This is powerful. God is saying that we will be blessed if we do his commandments, we do what's right because we're choosing to turn away. So it's not that we're, we're saved by you know, trying to keep the law. That's not how it works. We are saved through the grace of Jesus Christ. We are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus. And so... When we experience this salvation, God also leads us to live according to his commandments. We can make a choice, make a decision to follow God's law and not to live in sin. 
And so it tells us there that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So as we present the good news of Jesus, present the wonders of heaven, present the rewards that God has in mind for all of us who want to know him and who want to follow him. This is incredible. This is this is how God works with us. So what are some other texts that we can look at? How does God draw our hearts to him? How does he make us glad? Well, looking more at God's character, his love and his mercy, I want to share a, a few more verses here on this. Romans 5.8, which I've shared before in different messages, it says, But God commends his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us. While we were still living in sin, Jesus died for us. This is powerful. Isaiah 55 and verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is amazing. It's so hopeful. When we share the good news with others out in the world, people who are living in fragrant, or whatever the word is, I think it's uh, flagrant, I think is the word, sin. They're living in, in open, rebellious sin. So, as people are living in sin, God is calling for mercy. Sometimes we just come with a message of hate. We're like, hey, that's wrong, and uh, you know, you're going to go to hell or something. <laughs> but you know, this is not really the first approach that God has used as you look throughout Scripture. Yes, to be sure, there's a hell fire. Yes, to be sure, we don't want to end up there. But how does God reach out to us in mercy and love? Number one, God assures us that he has hope for us, that he doesn't hate us. But even though we have sinned, he loves us and Christ died for us. And God is calling us. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return unto the Lord. God's saying, look, you can still come back to me. You can still return and I will have mercy on you. The Bible says that God will abundantly pardon Another verse you might be familiar with, although you might not know the, re the reference to it, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 23. This was also written by the prophet Jeremiah. It says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You probably know the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. It's such a beautiful hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You know how it goes? Great is thy faithfulness. Yep. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. You probably didn't know I was going to sing on the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> Let me know next time you have a chance. Anyhow, great is his faithfulness. God is so faithful to us. God is so faithful to us. It's God's mercies. It's because of those mercies that we're not consumed. Here's another powerful verse. Micah 7, verses 18 through 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardons iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retains not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. 
he will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Isn't that powerful? Isn't it? God's incredible mercy. There's many other verses like this. Exodus 34, verses 5 through 7, where God proclaims his name before Moses, and he says, the Bible says the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. Now, this verse declares God's character, his love and his mercy. And the Bible says he will show this mercy to people who want to partake of his mercy. But it says that he will not clear the guilty. In other words, if you choose to live in sin, God's not going to sanctify your sin. God's not just going to say, all right, well, you know, I'll just let them slide. I'll give them mercy and they can just live on in sin. No, the Bible says God will not clear the guilty. If you want to live in sin, that's on you. But if you want to come to God and receive his mercy, hey, the Lord has mercy for you. Praise God for that. And then he continues on with a verse that is often misunderstood where it says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children under the third and fourth generation. You know, it's not that God punishes the other generations just for the sins of their parents. Some people have misunderstood this in that way. But what the Bible is pointing out is that sin often travels down generational lines. Sin is often passed down from parents to children. Children pick up the sins. Oh, mom and dad are worshiping idols, so now I'm going to worship idols too. And if it was good enough for my parents, it's good enough for me. Is that always true? <laughs> I don't think so. Sometimes we have to just stop and say, wait a second here. Um, this is not what God is asking for. And now I, I'm seeing the light. I'm seeing the truth. This is not what God wants. And now I've got to make a decision to say, the buck ends here. It stops here. The sin ends here. I'm not going to let it go on. I'm going to make a decision to change the course of my life, to repent and turn from this sin. God is telling us here that as far as sin goes, as far as iniquity goes, God will keep visiting with judgment. All right, we're all going to be guilty for the sins we choose to adopt, even if we learn those sins from our parents. And so God is telling us, hey, there is mercy to be had. Please turn from sin. Don't go that way. Don't continue in that pathway. Other people may not have had the same revelation or truth as you do. Or maybe they did have it, but they turned away from it and rejected the light of truth. What about you and I? What decision will we make today? Will we turn away from sin? Will we follow God for who he is? This is the message God wants us to get a hold of today. Here's another verse, and we're going to be wrapping this up here real soon. So Psalm 103, verses 8 through 10, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us as our sins, or dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. That's amazing, isn't it? God does not dealt with us like we really deserve. 
Um, this, this same psalm, Psalm 103, continues on from verse 11 to 18. It says, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's pretty far, east from west. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children." to such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. God is calling us to keep his covenant, the gospel. You've heard of, of course, the New Testament or the New Covenant that Jesus talks about. In fact, the whole latter half of the Bible, we call it the New Testament, which means the New Covenant, God's covenant, God's agreement, which is written in the blood of Jesus that his blood was shed on Calvary for you and for me, that at the cross, Jesus gave his life for us. Jesus gave his life to pay for our sins and to give us the gift of eternal life. God is calling us to believe in Jesus, to follow his covenant, and to keep his commandments, to do what he says is right. This is the gospel, that Jesus saves us from our sins. It's like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and thrown at the feet of Jesus. People were ready to stone her to death. And Jesus did not condemn her, but he simply knelt down and began writing in the sand. What do you suppose he wrote? No doubt the sins of those who were standing by. And as they, as they saw Jesus there and they felt the conviction that they had all been terrible sinners, they began to drop their stones and to go. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Has any man condemned you? And she said, no man, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel? That we experience the covenant blood of Jesus Christ, the cleansing blood of Jesus that forgives us from our sins. And we also experience the power of God's love and the power of God's spirit in our lives when he transforms our hearts to lead us in a new path of life, a new way to live in righteousness, to follow God's holy commandments instead of living in sin. So this is the gospel. This is the good news. It's the everlasting gospel, as Revelation calls it, and we see it here throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament. When the Apostle Paul talks about righteousness by faith in the book of Romans, he refers back to Abraham, living by faith. Look at Romans 4, you'll see the story. Look at Genesis 15, you'll see the story that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. This is incredible, this wonderful truth of God, this wonderful mercy. And the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 3, reminds us, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Yeah, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. That's powerful. That is so powerful. So we're going to be wrapping it up here on, on this point that uh, 
you know, God is calling us to be saved. He is showing us the way. And uh, we have no excuse. If we turn from God's mercy, we have no excuse left. And so God always pleads powerfully and pleads first and pleads long based upon his mercy and love, based upon his character of goodness, that he is calling us to the ways of right. He's calling us away from sin to give our lives, to give our hearts, to give our minds to him. And that's what God is calling us to do today, to give our lives fully to him in full surrender, that we will live for him and live for the glory of his name. Well, I hope you enjoyed the message today. I'm going to say a word of prayer for you, for our, our listeners, for me. And uh, next week, we're going to continue on this journey, looking at this topic of how God appeals to us and how does hell fit into this picture. We're going to be going into some of the texts from Jesus and the apostles, looking at some more stuff in the New Testament. Powerful Bible concepts here, uh, Bible teachings on this particular topic. Uh, And we'll be looking at more of the verses on hellfire that Jesus mentions in the New Testament. So remember God's love. Remember God's mercy that we are looking at right here. And let's go ahead and have a word of prayer right now. Our Father in heaven, we ask for your love and your mercy to be in our hearts. We pray for Jesus to come into our lives powerfully today, that you would transform us, renew our hearts again. Revive us, O Lord, we pray. Revive us and and cleanse us and fill us with your Holy Spirit, with your passion and love and also your power through Jesus to overcome sin. Lord, guide us in the way of life. May we experience your mercy in its fullness and may we experience your righteousness in its fullness as well, that you would do great things in our lives today to lead us in the path of Jesus Christ, to follow holiness and not sin. We thank you for your help in this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friend. Thanks for listening. I look forward to seeing you next week. We've got some more great stuff on this topic coming up. Thanks for joining us for this podcast. It's been great having you as a listener. May God richly bless your day. I look forward to having you join me for the next podcast. Blessings and take care.